0: my name is frank becher and you're listening to me on above and beyond
1: It's Mike Myers with another episode of Above and Beyond, brought to you by the Reengineering Australia Foundation, where we strive to engage, inspire, and educate students, teachers, and industry about the career pathway options that exist in the fields of science, technology, engineering, and maths. We're driving to create the next generation of innovators who will build Australia's economic future. While we at REA get a huge kick out of what we've been able to achieve. Nothing we do is possible without the support of teachers and principals. These are the ones who facilitate the opportunities for the students to become involved in their programs. It's the vision of the teachers who make outliers of the students, challenging and allowing them to take on new ways of educating themselves, along the way exploring their own individual capabilities and pushing themselves way beyond the education system they were trained to work within. Today, I have the opportunity to talk to a remarkable teacher about what drives him, his vision for what education should be, and what his students have gained from educating themselves in new ways. Frank Bishar is a teacher at CRC North Key Law in Melbourne. He's one of those hero teachers that we all remember from our days at school. I've had the honour of knowing Frank for some 14 years now, going back to when he first became involved with their finance schools. Frank's tentacles stretch much further than just f schools. His STEM classes focus on problem solving of all kinds. They do electronics, robotics, programming, drones, four-wheel drives, and loads more. I'm looking forward to hearing from Frank about his unique career journey and what he thinks works and doesn't work when it comes to inspiring students, particularly in a world full of technology, and more specifically, the wisdom he could pass on to others. Welcome, Frank. Hi, Michael. How are you? Pleasure to be talking to you.
0: I didn't think I'd be, be an honour to t- talk to me. I'm just a, just a teacher out in the boondocks.
1: If would could start with a couple of simple questions. The concept of teaching must have changed quite dramatically between when you started and today. Can you give us a brief history of your teaching career and the way it's changed over the years?
0: Well, it's hard to believe that I was a uh, primary school teacher. I taught primary for three years and uh, I just thought I had a lot to offer. I then moved into phys ed. I became a Who's their teacher, sports master. I then went in and did a uh, graduate diploma in uh, computer studies because I could see this was the new forefront of education. And from there, I went on to do a certificate of basic electronics because I was just interested in all sorts of stuff. I try to get that across to my students that I'm just not a one strain teacher. I'm a, I'm a teacher of life and I like to see these kids engaged. I don't like them sitting in desks. I like them seeing moving around the room using their minds because
1: their minds are just amazing. Has the education system changed a lot in the last 20 years, so?
0: I think some parts of it have. I think some things still stay the same. I think some teachers get caught up in the, the old rows and kids sitting down and doing work. I think we get caught too much up in assessment and reporting. Not that that's sort a of bad thing, but I still think a lot of things kids at school can do is actually apply what they learn. I've, I've moved a hell away from just giving knowledge. I think it's more, you've got knowledge, how can you use it?
1: Different people have different understanding of the concept of STEM, which is science, technology, engineering and mathematics. Now that you've got more than, I'll say, 14 years of experience in STEM, how would you describe STEM as you understand it now to a new teacher?
0: To me, STEM is all about problem solving. I think the world has got a whole series of problems and they can't be solved by just one particular subject area. I think it's a, it's a combination of think it's the whole thing of are we, we're, a, we're a team, you know, just like anybody, we're like a team. We have to collaborate together, and I think that's the key, collaborating with different scientific minds, coming together to solve different problems. And I've just seen STEM come in. We've got, I've watched the evolution of computers, and I've just seen what you know, people a few years ago didn't know what they could do with it, but look what we can do with it now. We're talking from state to state across a computer screen. No one would have thought that 20 years ago. So uh, I can just see, I'm probably a futurist, I can, I can see what we can do with it. And I'd like to make these kids aware of it and not just leave it in the background. So it's just, a, it's just a computer. It's not a computer. It's a tool to do amazing things.
1: So how do students respond to STEM and more broadly about taking a project as a problem-solving exercise rather than just a learning thing?
0: Uh, it's, rather, it's rather interesting. I find that the students, once you give them knowledge, they're just sitting there. And they're, just, they're just a, a receiving device. But I like to see more of an output device. So once I set things to the students more like problem-solving, I, I get fascinated to see how they collaborate with each other, how they solve the problem, how they perceive the problem. They come from a different mindset than, than I do, well, than we do, but I, I still have to respect the, the solutions they give to those problems. That's all they can provide because they haven't got enough knowledge to extend to the problem to give it a much, more, a much bigger solution. But I, I, every day I'm amazed by some of the solutions that kids come up with. You know, I, I just get, sometimes I get a kid to make a beam out of 10 pieces of cardboard I've been doing this for 14 years and every year somebody comes up with a different design. Success or failure, but different thinking processes. I think that's amazing.
1: Do you think technologies or their access to technology is changing the way they think now compared to, I mean, we were out climbing trees and falling out of trees and falling off bikes and we learnt in a very practical sense. What's your perception of how kids learn now?
0: Kids are still learning by doing. I think we, we learn by doing, climbing trees. We, we found our uh, our limits. But these kids today are learning a new set of limits uh, in the technology, what they can and can't do. And I'm a firm believer that we have to expose them, even at school these these ages, to what's out there. You know, what you've put in front of us is, oh, oh, look, I'm still amazed by the concept that you came up with with these kids. I just love doing it, like, you know, despite the pain and suffering I go through with F1, I just find it just appeals to so many different kids in what they do. And the, the responses I get back from parents, from the kids, is just amazing. It just drives me on and on and on to, you know, try to get to that world championship whenever I can. But, I, you know, that's, that's out of my reach at the moment. But I don't know how I'm going to be working back at school when I retire, so we'll see what happens.
1: Is there a point in terms of STEM where where kids seem to get it, seem to understand what they're doing and treat it differently from normal classwork?
0: Oh, definitely. I introduced a program called uh, Create and Control where we, you know, I can see the need for kids to be able to, to use robot robots and things like that. You know, they use all the other robots, but this, we have the robotic arms through MBOT. I was just amazed how the kids, you hear a cheer in the corner when the kids have actually got the robot to travel down the desk, pick up a glue stick, turn around and drop it off. Now that required a considerable amount of programming And understanding of encoder motors, which, you know, like, I don't know much about encoder motors, but I'm just amazed at what the kids found out themselves and uh, were able to bring it to the fore and and, uh, succeed with what they were doing. Uh, You know, it's just amazing, even with the drones and all the stuff I do, you know, we had a classroom that's active all the time. Being on isolation is killing me at the moment, it's killing the kids, but I've still managed to uh, put them in the direction of Grok. And, uh, Tinkercad, a lot of other programs that are online. I'm not going to have done that, but these kids are still coming back to me with amazing programs that they've done at home, even if they haven't touched the object. It's just, it's just fantastic that, uh, we've got the stuff that we've got out there that's online, the software. I just found two new things now online. Um, there's a new robot out there, the click, uh, click on, click in robot, the, the module one from China. You know, I'm looking at that and there's, I don't know if you've seen it, the sketch, uh, the scribe, scribe, where they uh, put a robot on the wall and it actually draws on the wall. So I'll be going back to school next week and I'll be telling the art department there's a robot out there for about $300 that can draw on the wall, whiteboard
1: and draw on glass. So I'm out there. I'm I'm, I'm pushing it. If you go on every day and there's something new, you wonder how you're ever going to keep up.
0: Oh, that's exactly right. I don't believe you have to keep up with it. I just think you be aware of it and you've just got to keep your mind open and you look at it and say, hey, this is a fantastic tool. How can we use it? How can the kids use it? Give it to the kids and they, they generally work it out. That's half the, the interesting thing about teaching. Give it to the kids and they soon work it out. You know, I can't wait to give them the, – we've just got a whole lot of sparrows, so I'm just, I can't wait to give them to the kids and see what they do with them.
1: Does the involvement in STEM projects or or project-based learning influence their learning capacity and their uh, dedication across other subject areas, or is it just limited to the projects that they're doing?
0: Very, very hard. Despite trying to push it across the curriculum, it's a bit like trying to infiltrate the English bunker, the the, the science bunker. I think a lot of people are very subject-controlled. It is very frustrating. I used to be a science coordinator and... I just wanted kids to be able to do things. I think, you know, it's nice to do it, but they get nothing more than a kick out of actually watching themselves do it or you do something that's just practical. And I still remember, oh, well, well I was, I'm not teaching science at the moment. I just remember one kid who was doing planets. And I said, he said, what do you do after I've done this work? And I said, well, get out PowerPoint and make your own universe. He goes, how do you do that? And a couple of instructions. The next thing you know, he said, this is the best fun I've had in science this year. Again, it's really put, putting that project out there to do something but you try to get across subjects I don't I think it'll take a little bit of time I think um, history
1: will tell me reflect that soon do kids like this stuff more than the 40 minute period
0: yes they do I have kids coming in you know because I do a lot of my work at lunchtime I have kids coming at lunchtime to see what the kids are doing sometimes they they just don't want to stop they you know I have to kick them out of the classrooms the key to teaching is engaging I, I think that's a very pertinent point and once you've got them engaged they want to stay there and want to continue
1: I realise that students have have got to be taught some specific subject matter to get their skill level up, but what are the benefits of moving into this cross-curricular thing? You were talking about wanting to bring maths and science together. What do you think the kids would get out of all of that?
0: Basically applied learning. I think once the kids know what they're doing, they've learned something and they can apply it, they can see the reality of it all. Too many kids, because I teach materials technology as well, what I find out is kids are coming in and they I could say to them, what's two centimetres plus two centimetres, and I'll say four centimetres. But when you ask them to measure four centimetres, they're a little bit at a loss. And it's rather interesting to see kids that haven't got those sort of application skills. I think it makes a lot of sense. You might have some knowledge, the key to knowledge is good, but to apply your knowledge is even better. And uh, that's what I think uh, is important. So when you have these sort of things and they see reality and it makes sense, it's got to make sense to kids. And we were kids once, and when it made sense, it, uh, you tend to learn it a little bit better.
1: Getting the, the math and the science silos yep. together and to make that happen is more about we've got to retrain those teachers. Uh, have they got little fiefdoms, if I'm not sure that's the right word, but that they're wanting to maintain control of?
0: Yeah, I think that's a key, Michael. I think it's just trying to get everyone on the, on the same page and seeing the, um, the importance of you know putting these subjects together. We're into we're into the 21st century, so you know we're still doing what we're doing in the 20th century. We need to start start shifting a little bit to all those particular areas because they're so interconnected in so many ways. And we you know I can see the connections. Unfortunately, some people can't see the connections. And it makes sense to to me. It makes sense to put them all together, you know, and have more problem solving situations.
1: I walked into a classroom the other day here in Sydney, and Kellyville. The teacher had me talk uh, just talk about engineering experience and stuff like that. And and uh, we only had one period, but by the end of the period, I've got about 10% of the way through the stories. And and the kids didn't want to go. You know, they said, "Oh no, can, can you tell us some more stories?" And and the teacher said, "No, no, you've got you've got to, we've got to sign you in or out of the next period. So you have to go now." And they're like, "No, no, we don't want to." <laughs> and I, for, I, for me, from the outside looking back, saying, "Well, if they're ready to accept that, why can't we give more give them more information?" as students move through the learning process and become more involved in project-based kind of learning is it a natural transition for them then to move from the historic siloed learning that we see them doing now into a cross-curricular environment are they able to handle the fact that they've now got to go and hunt for information from a whole lot of different sources to solve the problem
0: I don't think that's a bad thing. I, if, you know, if we sort of just put everything into channels, you know, like every subject channel, they, do, they, do, they all do crossover uh, in some ways. You've got to remember, you've got to give kids credit. Kids are amazing when they're given a little bit of correct direction and they take on their own little bit of uh, initiative. You know, you find yourself through all this, the program we do here. The, the, what these kids can do is just amazing. Um, reflect what Peter Clinton said, you know, you, you move from teacher to facilitator you just, you help, you direct and it's just, it is the most amazing feeling uh, when you do that, just watching these kids, uh, they're like flowers, they just bloom oh, I've had so many, you know, probably like you you've had so many amazing experiences, which you have seen over the years, what's happened with the F1 program and, uh, you know, just changing the rules and, you know for the kids to be telling me the rules, it's amazing you know, so we can't do that one, you know, because that'll affect that rule, so we've got to give these kids a hell of a lot of credit, that, you know, when they get on board it's changed my teaching amazingly just to see what kids can do, you know you're still going to have to drag those kids along, but when they see other kids and what they're doing, it becomes a, like a learning train. They just drag each other along and they start working together, just like they, what, you, what you should be doing Like when you're at work, working all together.
1: In a good job or a good company, that's the way things happen anyway. People start coming up with stuff that you never imagined and that's when you give them the freedom to go that you get the best out of them. The industry talks a great deal about employability skills: communication, collaboration, teamwork, presentation, project management. Where do these fit in the current education system or in today's classroom?
0: I think we're a little bit we're a bit at fault of not using that enough. I see it at my school a little bit, but again, some teachers are trying to push those sort of areas out there. But again, sometimes. You no, we hold on to old, uh, onto old, uh, our old thoughts, our old habits, and to move outside the the protective bubble of our of our subject. I've tried to encourage a few people. It's just interesting when I I'm, I'll be sitting there and I, I, I offer, I'm often looking for new resources, and then suddenly you pick up a teacher and say, "Look, I found this fantastic program. You might be able to use." And they just look at and go, "Yeah, I'll have a look at it later." And I go, "No, nah, I can have a look at it now because if you don't look at it, if you look at it later, you won't know what's going on." You know, next to know, we're sitting there for ten, fifteen minutes, and I just sort of see that you know. We have to look at what's outside the real world, and I think we were neglectful sometimes in teaching what's out in the real world and how it's all done, and I just sort of find you with that vision of having – the F1 program, have put together a package that, you know, for every student to be able to do something. I've had students who wouldn't be that great at signing a card, but they're amazing at their ability to talk, their ability to come up with ideas. And I think we've got to give them an avenue to do that. We are getting there at some stages, but I think we need to look, I think we still need to look a lot more at those particular areas, you know, of collaboration, presenting, putting our work together, expecting the best. I, I did 10 years at a, a Jesuit school and uh, I think they taught me a lot about uh, excellence Uh, from accept nothing but the best aim high doesn't matter how high it is whatever if you aim high for whatever you're doing even if you don't reach it your level's a lot higher than what you would normally give
1: there's two things that came up in what you just said there. One was, should we be spending more time or, or making it much easier for teachers to go and experience the real world, to go and visit and walk around and find out and see what's going on?
0: Yep, yeah, I definitely do. I, I think the most enlightening thing I ever did was we used to get on a trolley around the Ford factory in uh, Broad Meadows here, and I wish the trolley could stop so we could just watch – the steps through which the cars are going. My, my most fun in the morning these days is uh, watching YouTube videos on you know the cars coming up, how they put the the box the uh, the Maseratis together, how they put the um, Bugatti Veyron together. You know who who would have thought of putting a W16 engine together with with a uh, sequential gearbox?es You know, just amazes me. You know, when I see that sort of stuff and uh, all the electronics on there that that I'm now using in my electronics class. There's I've just found so many wonderful resources that explain it in such simple forms. So, look, I would have loved to have gone out and worked in an industry for a day, and I think there should be more teacher industry days so that uh, the teachers come back with those skills and the knowledge and the enthusiasm. If you've got an enthusiastic teacher, uh, the kids, they, they start flying, I think. So, good starting point.
1: You mentioned YouTube videos, and I know we all do a lot of, you know, when I'm fixing a car, the YouTube on the phone comes out. But I still think that there's a lot of value in actually going and seeing something live.
0: Oh yes, yeah, true. Totally agree, Michael. That's what I'm saying. Go. I'd love to, you know, as you say, send a teacher out into the into the work first for a day. You know, maybe a week, just like the students do work experience send the teachers out for doing real work experience in different areas so that they can convey that to the students. You know, when you think about it, most teachers come out of college and go straight into uh, teachers' college and then go into um, teaching. So have they experienced the real world, as we said?
1: It's interesting. It made me think then about we took when we took students and kids around the world on the world tour, one of the stops was at um, Mercedes, and we were taken down onto the shop floor where they were building the S-Class and the Maybach. Yeah. And they let us go right up to the the fence and the computers are working behind the scenes. And the guy said said to them, we actually start with a computer. So we actually have one, one piece of sheet metal, which is part of the suspension. And we, we connect a computer onto the front of that. It's bolted on. And that computer tells the whole production line, the rest of the car that it's going to build. And the kids sat and watched this and they were absolutely stunned. Yeah. This one piece of metal was put in place and then the car assembled itself around it and depending on the color or the type or the long wheelbase or short wheelbase just this tiny little box the size of a telephone dictated how they built the whole car and for everyone to see that happen live and see the computers going and checking themselves and, and picking parts up and welding them it blew everybody out of the water
0: yeah i would have loved to go on that tour
1: maybe you can organize another one i could i could use another trip i think now, everyone schools, students have to interact a lot with people from industry right through the process. So that's sort of part of the driving exercise. What impact does that interaction with industry have on the students, do you think?
0: You cannot, I don't think it's a, it's a measurable fact that with these kids. You, do you remember Daniel Messina?
1: Yeah, the name rings a bell, definitely.
0: I just remember Daniel's mother coming up to me and telling me that uh, he spent two hours talking to a major engineer of a particular company. Here is this uh, year eight boy talking about stuff that the, the general manager didn't know what he was talking about, but the engineer knew what he was talking about. You know, he's then moved, he's moved on to um, work in his particular field of designing. And last I heard he was designing um, artificial arms for uh, disabled people, robotic arms. So I have had a lot of feedback from parents that are saying that, that it's made a huge change in their life. Or I've had students come back and uh, say that, you know, if they hadn't done F1, they wouldn't be in some places where they are today. It's given them a, a real boost in terms of confidence. So one girl came back and she said, I, I struggled when I did it. But it's given me huge confidence to be where I am today. And a lot of these kids just to go out there and actually talk to adults. For an adult to hand over money to a kid, it's amazing. So they've had to do some pretty magical talking to uh, to amaze these people to hand over money for sponsorship. I, I can't... Oh, look, how do you say? Can't explain how good the program F1 program does in in so many ways uh, with the, with the kids, especially in the, um, the area of looking for sponsorship. Just a great facet of the program. If, if the if the um, sponsorship wasn't there, I don't think it'd be as good because it really gets those kids to go out. There.
1: I've been a belief of mine that two underlying skills that exist um, right through life that we need to get good at is problem solving and communication, and everything else has built itself on top of that. Is that a fair assessment?
0: How I just describe exactly what you want your CCC kids
1: to do? And once they can communicate and solve problems, that seems like life becomes much easier for them. You mentioned girls. How does it impact or doing projects like that impact on girls Or, or boys? You can give me both perceptions.
0: I always encourage the girls to do it. I, um, I, I think they've got a lot to offer. I, I still remember my famous girls' teams called Female Fury. I remember going down to Mornington and they were beaten by another girls' teams, but um, I just love the way they put their program together and their. Uh, I say to them, look, you've got to have a, you've got to have a team name and you've got to have a slogan to go with it. And they're, they're, I still remember their team name was Female Fury and their slogan was, "You set it all." You know, they're, uh, they're amazing, and I had another team that they were just like they dressed up in pink, and they had the big pink SW for Superwomen. They brought all their little skills to the table, their designs, and little. You know, they even made cupcakes and things like that. This program allows them to do so much, and. I even even go up to girls in the yard and say, look, I've got this really interesting program. You know, I think you'd be fantastic at that, mate. I'd give them an opportunity and uh, put a little bit of pressure on to see if they want to do it. Some come on board, but, you know, I'm always chasing the the, the girls to do engineering because I think they they bring a whole different scenario to the the scene and their ability as well.
1: I must admit, all of the really good teams have girls in them, and I think that's because they keep us blokes organised.
0: Possibly, yeah. I have
1: four daughters, so I have an excuse.
0: I've got, I've got one. She tries to keep me organised.
1: So, what advice would you give students uh, with with their future in mind about developing their passions and skills and choosing a career? And where does passion and skill fit into their what they should be aiming to build?
0: Well, you've said the two magic words, passion. If you, I think, if you've got real passion, your job is it's it's, it's enjoyment. I've been teaching for forty two years. You know, you had one or two bad years, but um, if you continue with that passion, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I've learnt so much. With the kids, I think they you want to put them in that direction. You know, follow your skill, follow your passion, because the rewards just can't be measured in the end. And you know what you can do with it. I think a lot of people just end up in jobs and they don't like them. But I think for your own well-being, follow your passion, and if you've got the skill, go for it.
1: Do a lot of kids know their passion, or are they still floundering through the trying to work out where that fits? I think,
0: I think a lot of students will be – I have a funny feeling a lot of students these days are a little bit more distracted, I think, because of all the uh, the gaming machines and the stuff online. I think they've – they sort of think that's going to be their passion, and I don't think they're exploring. To some degrees, I don't think they're exploring enough. All of us would be out there. We, we would have made something trying to pull a motor together, get pull something apart. You know, like I'm, I'm interested in putting a wind generator together, making my own. I think there's a lot more distractions out there today than there was. It's as I said, it's, I'm finding it harder and harder to keep teams together. Um, possibly, I think somewhere down to the distractions. But uh, you know, when these kids are on on task and they're really interested, you, you get just amazing things. Schools are a place where you try to find your passion. So. The more you offer, uh, the more they're lo- the more likely to find what they're looking for.
1: Sounds like you're talking about that this new technology that they're using all the time has an upside and a downside. And
0: you know, there are, there are kids who just uh, look, I've had experience of people are just spending hours and hours on gaming machines, and you know, life's about experiencing a lot more, I think. And if you get caught in the rut with these kids, you know, you'd be here. so many kids. Spending hours and hours in front of the gaming machine. Of course, they're interaction and they're engaging and they're with their friends. But I don't know. If with that, with that in mind, are they exploring other avenues? So it's just, it's just an interesting observation
1: over the years. My youngest, Sophie. You may have met Sophie along the way. She's doing digital animation, and she's very heavily into virtual reality and all that kind of stuff. She knows it backwards, and I keep saying to her, "Have you ever thought about applying that in defence or in automotive or somewhere else?" And she says, "Oh no, no, I just want to do a ga- you know, and build games. I want to do this kind of stuff." I said, "But the money's in defence yeah. or automotive. Why don't you think about?" That? "Oh no," but I've... and so she herself is limited by what the, the limit of the interactions that she's having, and sometimes frustrating to talk her into other things anyway. But that's life as a parent.
0: Yes, it is. It's, uh, you can only do so much. You, uh, you can only guide you and you just have to catch them when they fall.
1: What wisdom would you pass on to teachers, new or old, uh, about the teaching process that you think you have learnt through that? And I'm, I'm really maybe hunting for the 10 command sure, yes. by going to the hill and back. You've been doing it for a long time. What things would you pass on to other teachers?
0: With any teaching, I think you still have to te- teach them some knowledge. I think you have to teach them certain skills. But instead of just, just uh, assessing those skills, I would look at seeing how well you can apply those skills. I, I just sort of find, like, at our school, we, we spend a lot of time on, um, you know, we, we teach the knowledge, we'll test them, and then we can report back to the parents. And everyone's sort of wondering about, okay, i got 88 for for maths. It's a, it's just a number. But there are other students at the school who, you know, who mightn't get 88 for um, for maths but can design a world-class racing car. That That is an immeasurable – you can't give that a mark. Obviously, this student has taken a, a considerable amount of knowledge – has done their research and has somehow applied all that knowledge to design a car to race on a track against the rest of the world. And that's that's the sort of stuff I think, you know, you tell teachers is not so much. It's not what you know, it's how to use it, I think, is very important. So it'd be very interesting to see how the concept of teaching would change. You know, give them the skills, give them the knowledge. And because I, I teach materials tech as well, it's interesting when I give the kids the, the ability to be creative. It's amazing what they could do. I was quite surprised. I've never made a breadboard in my life, but I was quite amazed to see a year nine student design in SketchUp and make and have a thought process all the way through to, do, to make himself a breadboard for his mother. And it was a fairly complex process, but I wouldn't have have done it that way, but he did it that way and was very successful. So, you know, it wasn't a matter of me telling him what to do. It was a matter of him, hey, tell me what you can do with what you've got. And I think that's a a new way. I'd like to see teaching be approached more that way. Okay, I've given you something. Show me what you've got
1: pushing my barrel a little bit here but I've been frustrated by the ATAR and, I, and we have kids chasing a mark all the time and, and you know yeah. if they get something wrong they lose a mark so they go you know they can't make mistakes kind of attitude and yet in life you learn the most from failure. Can the school system change so it accepts the fact that you make a lot of mistakes but at the end of the day you learn an awful lot out of that?
0: I think ATAR will have some place it's just, it just a, its a line of which students have to achieve. I think like a lot of things you know You have to actually talk to the person. I think you have to see the person at work. Okay, you might get 99%, 99 for your eight. you know, you get the highest task score. Does that make you a good doctor? Does it mean you can be interpersonal? It may not be, you know, like, whereas a person who might only get an ATAR score of 40, but like, you know, you'd have to look at that. Uh, who was that? Robin Williams did um, Patch Adams. I think that's a classic example. He was a doctor, but he, he had a different approach and he had success through doing different things, but he was bucking the system and you saw what happened there. You know, I find that a rather interesting parallel to education, I think. You've got to do a few things differently. Eventually, some people will change over time. So, look, I'm a bit of a dag when I'm in my classroom, but uh, I ran into a student not long ago and they said, um, I said, well, what are you doing now? She said, I became a teacher and said, uh, why did you do that? She goes, look, I had so much fun in your class. So, you know, I used to do a lot of stuff in class uh, as a primary teacher. And I was just, I said, thank you very much for that. So, uh, I think the sort of person you are that uh, defines who you
1: are. So a mark doesn't define who you are. You maybe think of Dead poet Society. I think Robert Williams did such a wonderful job in that as well.
0: I, they just resonate with me. You just uh, you've got to break the shell a bit, I think, and uh, that's the way you know you have to operate. I think teachers need to just look at that, and you know a, a lot of people wouldn't be comfortable with it, but uh, I think somewhere down the line we've got to change the way they approach that.
1: I have one one last question for you, so you can talk as much as you like on this one. Going to be retiring soon as a teacher. I don't think there's any such thing as people from F one schools retiring, but that's another story. But what would you put down as some of your greatest memories for the whole process of learning or teaching?
0: The definition of a teacher is you've got to be like the student. You've got to want to continue to learn. I always say to people, you know, people, some sort of people think that their uh, their learning is very finite. I think your learning is infinite, and that I think the, the day you stop learning is the day you die. You've got to be open your mind the whole time to what's out there, the learning that you can do. Somebody said, <coughs> recently sent me a, an, a text message sort of saying, um, what was the name of Buzz Aldrin's mother? What was her maiden name? And I, I just had a, a guess and it was Moon. And then I sent him back one and said, uh, what did Eugene Cernan write on the Moon after the Apollo 17 Apollo uh, 17 mission? And he goes, I don't know. And he, he wrote, actually uh, scribbled his daughter's uh, uh, initials into the Moon's surface and I'll be there for a billion years. He goes, you learn something every day. And I say, well, that's the way I like to see it. Well, I've got some property up the country and I'm just interested in learning how, you know, I want to learn how to grow plants. So I'm just like a science teacher. I want to learn so much more. I still want to pull a car apart. I want to build a, I want to build something, you know, while the hands are still working before the arthritis sets in. but. Uh, some of the most fascinating things I learned, like uh, the biggest challenge I ever found was Katia. Uh, I still remember Paul Bray introducing that and uh, scared the living daylights out of me. But I had a student with me and we had to sit down and we had to learn how to use that program. And I, and I and nine times out of ten, I had to go back to the kid and ask him how to do it. So I had amazing fun with that. I, was, I still think one of the funniest things I ever heard was uh, one of our students, you probably know him, uh, Corey Bussertool. Do you remember him?
1: I oh, the name.
0: Yeah, he's now working for... Um, Norman Disney and Young is designing buildings in Melbourne. Here. He's now an electrical engineer, and he was one of my student, one of the students through the F1. I just remember him saying he was he went to a Toyota on a tour, and they took him into the design room, and uh, the guy showed him how to um, how we use Katoon. He said, have you ever seen this program before." And this kid turns around and said, yeah, "I've been using it for two years." And another kid went to Ford, and uh, when kids do work experience there, they show them how to design a piston. And while all the other kids from other schools are struggling, you know, one of my kids designed the whole engine. And I just find that, that just, I think that was just amazing. You know, I've had kids take me places. We went down to a a high-speed camera place where they tested cars and we took our F1 track down there and we were measuring the speed of the car. It's just, uh, you know, I've learned so much from F1. It's the... uh, Probably the highlight of my teaching career. It's, it's. I had six teams one year. Nearly killed me, but I think the rewards I've got out of it, the mems, the students I've dealt with, parents I've had to deal with, the support I've had, it's been amazing. And if I if I was 20 years younger, I'd continue to do it. I just don't want it to stop. But there's got to be a time, you know. It's. Uh, I do it every year, and I, when I ask for the, the meetings, I'm hoping to, you know, I get ten kids and then I'm down to three and then I'm down to two. But it's just great when you get those teams. I um one of the teams I was quite quite amazed with is the uh they called Anonymous Racing and they all had they wore masks when they went in for their speech. And I had the um the, the head engineer come out to me afterwards. He said, these were year seven kids, mind you, and he said, I've never heard so, year seven kids speak so well. They never not one of them had a, a prompt. They took their mask off as they spoke. I'm just amazed by what these kids can do. And that's what I mean. I, I just learned have learned so much. I never never underestimate what a kid can do. If you give kids something, they can do something, you know, with good guidance, you can can give them a lump of clay and they can make something amazing out of it. So, you know, I've I've learned to never underestimate what kids can do. And even as a, you know, on the week I'm doing F1 and uh, during the weekends I coach basketball, you know, and again, the science, the strategy, the tact, the tactics I employ. I've won many games that I shouldn't have won through tactical thought, the maths, the observational skills I've learned over the years of playing myself. Just continue to watch things and learn and apply them to give myself an advantage in the basketball court. I've probably won more games than I've lost. I think it's all a whole lot. It's interactive. It's just been an amazing journey, and I really have you to thank for that. What you've created is, uh, I think Australia should be thankful for your uh, the way you've designed this fantastic program to engage kids. And uh, I've been uh, I've been lucky to be a pawn in your great plan.
1: It's you guys that do the work. All I do is become the catalyst. So I'd have to, Frank, I'd have to say there's been wonderful listening to you, and I'm sure there's lots of good feedback for people and other teachers. I have to thank you for all your efforts over the many years and all of the the time you spent with the kids. Whenever we go to an event, the kids are always humming around you, and it's uh, great to see that and see the relationship you have with the kids, and and I appreciate that you've taken the time to talk to us today.
0: That's fantastic, Michael. You look, uh, as I said to Deborah, um, if I'm available, I'd... Like, I, I believe in giving back, so if I, I know she sometimes struggles to get judges, um, if am if I'm around, I'm happy to turn up while I'm still around. It'd be great to give something back.
1: I'll probably try and get you here for the world final in um, in Fantastic.
0: March. I still remember, I think it was uh, 2008 you had the final here in Melbourne, was it 2007 or 2008?
1: 2007, I think.
0: I remember, team, I still got it on, the, on my board, Team Fuga, when they got 1.02 seconds. I'm still amazed by that, but um, yeah, the, the, num- the, the number's come down quite a bit since, so. And look, you do a fantastic job inspiring everyone. And my biggest adversary is Peter
1: Clinton. Everyone's trying to beat Peter Clinton.
0: No, no, he's, look, he's fantastic. All the people I've met there is fantastic. There is a little bit of a logistical advantage over that side of Melbourne with the number of contacts people have over there. It's just sort of been interesting seeing how the bigger, bigger schools in Melbourne get involved. There's a bit more money on that side of the era, probably a bit of expertise, but but we're still beating him. I use him as a, a measure stick and I'm, you know, I see what he does and you try to read between the rules and... You know, you try to get your kids to do everything a little bit better than you know, Trinity College. But, look, he's done a fantastic job. He's, uh, I idolise what he's done and how he manages to get his kids to every year just to perform so well. So, And they've done Australia proud. Yeah, and that's they're amazing.
1: They're wonderful. I think all of you teachers are wonderful and you all need a pat on the back. So, again, uh, Frank, thanks very much for your time. And
0: Thank you very much, Michael. You have a good day. I'm hoping everything's better up there. I'm hoping we get out of uh, isolation soon. i be better than being at home all the time.
1: Fantastic. We'll talk soon.
0: No worries.